On behalf of Calvary Bible Church of Palisadro, welcome to the Bible teaching ministry of our pastor and teacher, Jim Jarrett. Here's Pastor Jim with today's study designed to help us grow in the Word. Mother's Day is is one of the most special days in, in all of the year. I mean, it's the day that families pay special tribute to their moms in various ways, cards, flowers, breakfast in bed perhaps, brunch or lunch at a nice restaurant. I mean, special gifts and phone calls. In fact, we're told that there are more phone calls made on Mother's Day than any other day of the year. And these are just some of the ways that Families will say thanks to mom, and and that's how it should be on this day, set aside to honor our mothers and the unique and vital role that God has given them. And so we just want to say thank you to all of our mothers for their undying love, their, their untiring work, their unselfish giving, and their undivided devotion. And, I mean, let's face it, moms have a complex and essential job description. Someone has said that a mom is a shuttle driver, meal planner, cook, interior decorator, hostess, housekeeper, errand runner, secretary, teacher, educator, and nurse, at times mechanic, landscaper, gardener, bookkeeper, budget manager, counselor, referee, disciplinarian, coach, and your child's number one fan. I mean, without question, moms really do have a difficult but unique and vital job. And mothers have a powerful influence on our lives, emotionally, physically, mentally, but especially spiritually. Someone has said that mothers are the very crucible in which much of our character is formed. Motherhood is so very important. It is a high and, and a holy calling. And in thinking about a Mother's Day message, I thought, you know, what can I possibly say about mothers as an all, that hasn't already been said many, many times before? And the answer is, I doubt, that, I doubt very seriously there's anything that I can say that would be new to you or be something you have never heard before. I mean, no doubt there will be many messages delivered this morning on the virtuous and godly mother of Proverbs 31. Perhaps the story of, of Jochebed, the mother of Moses, will, will be told in many pulpits today. And many pastors will speak about Hannah, the mother of Samuel, and, and certainly there, there's much to say about mothers. In fact, there are not enough words in our vocabulary to say all that should be said about mothers. But as I consider this morning's message, I thought about how the role of a, a mother is under such attack and has been for some time. I mean, motherhood is, is so looked down upon and despised by many. As I was reading, preparing for this morning, one commentator I read had an interesting article on motherhood he had come across, and it was written in 1928 by a man named W.L. Caldwell, and here's what he said. Well, may we pause to pay honor to her who, after Jesus Christ, is God's best gift to men, mother. It was she who shared her life with us when as yet our members were unformed, 
Into the valley of the shadow of death she walked, that we might have the light of life. In her arms was the garner of our food and the soft couch for our repose. There we nestled in the hour of pain. There was the playground of our infant glee. Those same arms later became our refuge and stronghold. It was she who taught our baby feet to go and lifted us up over the rough places. Her blessed hands plied the needle by day and by night to make our clothes. She put the book under our arm and started us off for school. But best of all, she taught our baby lips to lisp the name of Jesus and told us first the wondrous story of a Savior's love. And Caldwell went on to say, The pride of America is its mothers. There are wicked mothers like Jezebel of old. There are unnatural mothers who sell their children into sin. There are sin-cursed, rum-soaked, and abandoned mothers to whom their motherhood is the exposure of their shame. I am glad to believe, however, that there are comparatively few in this class. And following that, the commentator then asked this question, you know, is that true? You know, are there merely a few unfaithful mothers? And he continued saying, maybe that was the case in 1928. But it's sadly not so today. High rates of illegitimacy and divorce reveal the contemporary abandonment of marriage, motherhood's foundation. Annual abortions number in the millions, which shows the heart of many mothers has grown cold. Millions of children whose mothers allow them to see the light of day cower in fear under angry abuse. And countless are the mothers who ignore, neglect, or abandon their children in pursuit of self-centered fulfillment. Motherhood is an inconvenient interruption to their lifestyle. For better or worse, mothers are the makers of men. They are the architects of the next generation. That's why the goal of becoming a godly mother is the highest and most noble pursuit of womanhood. God has specially equipped women for that very purpose. And in Christ, women can experience profound satisfaction in that divinely ordained pursuit. They can be who God created them to be, end quote. And how very true that is. So ladies, I want to encourage you that, uh, this Mother's Day to consider the fact that nothing is more important to our society than godly motherhood, which is why the enemy and the world system he controls seeks to destroy it. The family is the foundation of society. And while fathers are responsible for the way the family goes, as someone has said, godly mothers are the glue that holds the family together. And since this is so true and godly mothers are so important to our society and and to each of us in our own families, I'd like to take this morning in honor of our mothers to look at the life of a devoted godly mother in the Word of God. I mean, mothers today have to be courageous women and, and most of all mothers need to be women that have certain attributes. And when thinking about godly mothers and their attributes, there's one mother that that continually comes to mind, and that is Mary, the mother of Jesus. And so if you'll please turn in your Bibles to the Gospel of Luke chapter 1, and then stand. I want to read verses 26 through 38, and verses 46 through 55. So stand, open your Bibles to Luke chapter 1, and if you'll follow along as I read Luke chapter 1, verses 26 to 38, and then verses 46 to 55, beginning now in Luke chapter 1, verse 26. And there we read, In the sixth month the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, 
to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age also has conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. And now dropping down to verse 46. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things, and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. May the Lord bless this reading of his word and our time together in it. You may be seated. Mary was a young woman, a teenager actually, from a small rural village of Nazareth. And in the Jewish culture of that day, a girl was married as, as a young teenager to a man who was usually older than her in a marriage arranged by her parents. And Mary's parents, of course, had selected Joseph, and so Mary and Joseph were betrothed, uh, or today we would say engaged. And this betrothal period usually lasted one year, during which time the couple was considered legally married, even though the marriage ceremony and consummation did not occur until as much as a year later. And during that betrothal period, they had very little social contact and no physical contact whatsoever. And you'll remember, of course, that it was during this betrothal period that Mary had the encounter with the angel Gabriel and learned that that she would conceive a child by the Holy Spirit, which she did. And Mary's magnificent or her hymn of praise in verses 46 to 55, is in response to her cousin Elizabeth's recognition through the Holy Spirit that the baby Mary was carrying was in fact the promised Messiah. And in this hymn, Mary exalts and worships God. And, and although she was, she was probably 13 to 14 years old when she spoke these words, it's quite obvious Mary had a deep understanding of God and his mercy. And it seems that she knew God far better than many, if not most, professed Christians today. And as we look at Mary's response to the angel and at her hymn of praise, we'll see in her the attributes of a godly mother. Let's look now at verses 46 and 47. And here we see the first attribute of a godly mother. And that is, that is simply that she knows God personally 
as her Lord and Savior. Look at verses 46 and 47. Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my, what? Savior. I mean, Mary's hymn is just full of information about the attributes of God, but it's not cold, it's it's not merely academic information. Mary is praising God as she considers what he has done in choosing her to be the mother of the Messiah. And she calls him in verse 47, God my Savior. Which indicates that Mary knew that she was a sinner because no one but a sinner needs a Savior. Implied in in the term Savior is the fact that we are all lost and alienated from God because of our sin. And as those who are lost, We don't need just a a little help or a little boost from God to set things right. We don't need just a few tips on on how to get our lives in order or how to to build our self-esteem or or how to succeed in our families or marriages. No, Savior is is a radical term that implies that we are hopelessly and helplessly lost unless God in His infinite power and His infinite mercy and grace intervenes to rescue us, to save us. And you'll notice Mary calls God my Savior. My Savior. I mean, this is personal. This is very personal, indicating that she knew the true God as her Savior. I mean, Mary was from a Jewish home. I mean, the Jews are God's chosen people, so she could have easily thought, well, you know, we're, we're good Jewish people. I'm a daughter of Abraham. We follow the commandments. We, we keep all the feasts. That's all I need to be accepted by God. But even though she was a moral young woman from a good family, Mary knew, even as a young teenager, that she needed a Savior. And she had personally trusted in God and His Messiah as her Savior. And so the first attribute of a godly mother is that she knows God personally. She has put her faith and trust in Christ alone as her Lord and Savior. Moms, the most important thing in your life is to first of all have a personal relationship with Christ. I mean, that is the issue in all of life. The most important issue. It's not enough to know God as your parent's Savior or your husband's Savior or or even your, your children's Savior in some cases. And it's certainly not enough to belong to your parent's church or your husband's church or your children's church. I mean, you yourself must know Christ personally as your Savior and Lord. And that means, of course, that you, you are accountable to God as your creator. You, you see yourself as a sinner who has broken God's holy law. Uh, you see yourself as guilty and condemned, and you know that there is nothing that you can do to save yourself. All that you can do is cast yourself upon the mercy and grace of God, turning to Him in faith and repentance. And when you do, Jesus will save you. God will forgive your sin freely, entirely, and utterly, once and forever, in and by the blood of Jesus Christ. You remember, it was the man who cried out, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, who went down to his house justified before God there in Luke 18. So if there's a mother here this morning who has not trusted in Christ alone for salvation, you know, you don't know him personally. 
Listen, I, I want to encourage you with all my heart to do so. To turn to Christ and, and to believe in Him. Trust in Him to save you, to forgive your sin, and to become your Savior and Lord, so that you, along with Mary, might be able to say, God, my Savior. And so the first attribute of a godly mother is that she knows Christ personally as her Lord and Savior. The second attribute of a godly mother is that she knows the Word of God. As we look at Mary's hymn in verses 46 to 55, uh, we, we notice very quickly that it's just filled with Scripture. In many ways, it, it's similar to Hannah's song of praise in 1 Samuel chapter 2, verses 1 through 20. But, but there are many other similarities to the Psalms and, and other portions of the Old Testament as well. And so this tells us that Mary knew the Scripture. I mean, her hymn is just overflowing with Old Testament allusions and quotations, which indicates Mary's heart and mind were saturated with the Word of God. I mean, there are allusions and quotations to the Psalms, to the prophets like Isaiah, Habakkuk, and Micah. In fact, there are 25 different Old Testament verses either quoted or alluded to in these nine verses. Every line as a counterpart in or an allusion to the Old Testament. And so the point is simply that the entire passage is almost a point-by-point reciting of the covenant promises of God. And so although she was a a very young teenage girl in a culture that, that frowned upon and restricted training in the Scriptures to boys, Mary knew the Word of God. She knew a great deal about God's attributes and mercy. She knew what God had done in the history of his people and and what he had promised to do in sending his Messiah. And the the words in, in Mary's hymn came right out of the scriptures because her heart and mind were filled with the word of God. And the point is simply that a great mother and a godly mother knows the word of God. You know, Peter exhorts us in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 2 and 3. Like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. Now, mothers have great insight into that verse, especially those uh, who, who have nursed or who are nursing. You moms who have nursed know how that, that hungry baby can just latch on to you, right? I mean, newborns go after their mother's milk with a vengeance. Well, Peter exhorts all of us to crave God's word in the same way that an infant craves his mother's milk. So moms, it's it's so important for you to know the word of God. To just immerse yourselves in the word. Why? Well, God's word is where we find the answers to the issues of life. You want to know what your role and responsibilities are? Well, it's in the Word of God. Don't go look in the self-help section at Barnes & Noble. All you have to do is open up the Word of God. You want to know about marriage, about raising and disciplining your children? It's in the Word of God. In God's Word, we find everything that pertains to life and to godliness. God has given His Word to guide us and direct us. God's Word is to be used and applied in everyday life. But, But that's the cat. You have to apply it in your life for it to have an effect on your life. And to apply it in your life, you first have to know it. One day there was a group of men discussing 
which version, which translation of the Bible was the best to read from. One argued it was the New King James, another argued that the ESV was the best, another claimed that the New American Standard was the best, while another man was arguing for the New Legacy Standard Bible. And they they argued a, a while longer, and then another man who had just been listening to the conversation spoke up, and he said, you know, the best version of the Bible is the one that my mother lived. And how true that is. Because it doesn't matter which of those versions of the Bible you read from unless you live it. And you can't live it unless you apply it, and you can't apply it unless you know it, and you can't know it unless you read it and study it and hear it preached on a regular, consistent basis. And so moms, I I want to encourage you to read the Bible, study it. Study it to know the God of the Bible. Don't just study it for information. Paul said, knowledge puffs up. And so many times that's what happens when we study. We just fill our head with all of this knowledge and it doesn't affect our hearts. And we have have big heads that, that we just get all puffed up. And we're not any closer to God in our relationship with him. So study the Bible not just for knowledge's sake, but to know the God of the Bible. Because that's where he reveals himself to us. Read it and study it to grow in your faith and, and, and walk with the Lord. Read it and study it to know how you're supposed to live, to know how to be a godly wife and mother. So read it, study it, know it, live it. And then teach it to your children. Teach it to your children. You know, we, I'm afraid so many times in the church, we are so focused on teaching our children uh, all these other things which, which are necessary that we neglect to teach them that which is the most important, that which is eternal. We need to teach, moms, even dads, you need to teach your children the Word of God. I mean, Moses encouraged the Israelites to teach God's Word to their children morning, noon, and night. He said in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7, You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. In other words, just, just throughout the day. It doesn't have to be this formal sitting down and, and having some kind of a teaching session. It's just all throughout the day. And, and whatever you do, just using the normal activities of daily life as an opportunity to teach your children what the Word of God says about these things. I mean, Moses learned that way in his mother's lap. I mean, his mother Jochebed was, was a woman of faith who taught Moses about the God of Israel, you know, the true and the living God. Samuel was taught by his mother Hannah. She instructed him in the things of God, and no doubt he learned how to pray from his mother. Let me give you a great illustration from the New Testament of the effect that a mother and grandmother's instruction can have on a child. Paul was writing to Timothy, and in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5, this is what Paul said, I am reminded of your sincere faith, a faith that dwelt first in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and now, I am sure, dwells in you as well. And then in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 14 to 15, Paul said this, But as for you, speaking to Timothy, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood, or more literally, how from infancy, 
You have been acquainted with the sacred writings, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Now that's an incredible testimony. Timothy's father was a Greek, we know from Acts 16, a Gentile who no doubt didn't know the Scriptures. And so Paul celebrates the great heritage that Timothy had through his mother and his grandmother. They did what his father could not or perhaps would not do. They filled him with scriptures, and later the Holy Spirit opened his heart to understand the scriptures and his need of a Savior, and he came to faith in Christ. And so we could say that Timothy will live forever because his mother and his grandmother were faithful to teach him the scriptures. So moms, I I want to encourage you that uh, the the responsibility to teach your children is a great privilege. It's a great privilege. Teach your children the Word of God. Don't put eternal things, the things of God, to the periphery. I mean, if you do, and and you focus strictly on, uh, on, on on the temporal, you may, you may train your child to be the best this or the best that or, or the best at this or the best at that, but if you don't train them with the things that are eternal, you've completely failed them. We have to focus on the eternal and the things of God with our children. And your children may not necessarily enjoy that or even like it, but that's okay. If they're not a believer, what do you expect? And our children aren't born believers. And so that's another reason we need to teach them the Word of God, just like Timothy's mother and grandmother. Teach them from infancy. Fill their hearts and minds with the Word of God. And as they get older, you know, into their teens, they may push back. That's okay. Be the mom. Be the dad. And continue to teach them and train them. Show them by example how the things of God... Eternal things, the most important things, are the priority. And you continue training them and teaching them and and praying then that God will open their heart and bring them to faith in Christ. And the godly mother is the woman who loves God and, and loves the things of God and who teaches her children the word of God and takes them to church, teaching them the importance of that. And what a blessing it is to have a mother who is a woman of faith. The woman who teaches her children the Bible. I mean, there is nothing more important, mom, that you can do. Now, maybe your mom wasn't like that. In fact, maybe your your mother was the exact opposite of that. And so although Mother's Day is a day of joy and celebration, uh, for some of you, it, it may also be a day of pain and grief. Because you didn't have this kind of mom. In fact, you, you had a bad mom a bad mother. And if so, I mean, I am sincerely sorry that you had to experience that. But I also want to encourage you that if God has saved you, well, then you can be a godly mother to your children. You can be the godly mother to your children that, that, that you didn't have. Right? It didn't come out right. You know what I mean. (laughs) 
You know, or perhaps you came to Christ later in life after your children were grown. Well, then thank God that he saved you so that you can be a godly grandmother to your grandchildren, teaching them the word of God and the things of God. But again, to live the word of God and to teach the word of God to your children or grandchildren, you have to know the word of God. You have to first know it. So the attributes of a godly mother are, first of all, that she has a personal relationship with Christ. Second, that she knows God's word and teaches it to her children. And the third attribute of a godly mother that we see in Mary is that she trusts God in every circumstance. She trusts God in every circumstance. Look at chapter 1, verses 34 to 37. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who was called barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. And so here we see Mary, an unwed virgin, She had been approached by the angel Gabriel who tells her she's going to have a son. She says, how can this be? You know, uh, I'm a virgin. I've never had sexual relations with a man. And so in her mind, there is no possible way that she can have a child. And of course, humanly speaking, she was exactly right. And Gabriel then goes on to tell her that not only is she going to have a son, but he's going to be the son of God. And I find it amazing that at this point, Mary didn't start questioning God and the angel. And she could have reminded the angel about the cultural stigma that that would have been placed on her by being pregnant before being married. It would have been especially bad because it was during the betrothal period. She could have reminded the angel how her fiancé, Joseph, uh, was going to react. She could have reminded the angel about the way her parents would react to the situation like this. I often tried to think about what what her parents thought. You're pregnant, and how did you say this happened? But notice what Mary did in verse 38. Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. This is amazing. I mean, Mary trusted God completely. She didn't question God in this very strange and difficult circumstance she found herself in. Rather, she looked to God, submitted to him, and said, let it be to me according to your word. Mary completely trusted God in this circumstance. She knew what the Apostle Paul would later write in Romans 8.28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. And Mary knew God personally. She knew his word, and so she knew that God was faithful to his word and to all his promises. And speaking of God, she said in her hymn in verses 54 and 55, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham, and to his offspring forever. When even though 2,000 years had elapsed since God's promises to Abraham, God had not forgotten. And Mary knew what, what God has promised he will fulfill in his time. 
And she no doubt knew the words of Joshua, recorded in Joshua 23, 14, where Joshua said to the children of Israel, And now I am about to go the way of all the earth. And you know in your hearts and souls, all of you, that not one word has failed of all the good things that the Lord your God promised concerning you. All have come to pass for you, not one of them has failed. Mary knew no matter what the situation might be, she could absolutely trust God in every circumstance because God's word never fails. And God is faithful to do all that he has said. As we read in 1 Kings 8.56, not one word has failed of all his good promise. Not one word. And moms, that's important for you and, and for all of us to remember. We can trust God in every circumstance. I mean, no matter how bleak, difficult, or tragic things may appear to be, we can trust God. Because God keeps His promises. His word is true. Not one word that He has said has ever failed because He is faithful. In fact, the Scriptures declare, Great is thy faithfulness. And as we read God's word and see what he did in the past for those who trusted in him, and as we look back and remember all that God has done in our own lives, well, it encourages us today to trust him no matter what. And moms, I know that some of you have gone through and perhaps are even now going through very difficult trying, painful, even tragic circumstances. And most often we don't know why these things happen to us and others. But we can trust God who does. We can trust God. As one man said, Paul's statement in Romans 8.28, that for those who love God, all things work together for good, sounds like the ingredients for a cake after they've been mixed together. He said, some of the ingredients used to make a cake taste good by themselves. Other ingredients, such as baking powder or flour, are not very tasty at all. But they're essential and must be mixed with the good-tasting ingredients to produce a delicious final product. And then he said, God can be trusted to take the bitter experiences of life and blend them together and make them work together for good. God knows which ingredients are needed, and he knows how to mix them to produce the desired result. So I want to encourage you, mothers, this morning to, to trust God completely. Because God keeps his word. You know, your husband may not keep his word, your children may not keep their word, your, your parents may not keep their word, or your friends, or, or everyone else for that matter. But you can trust God completely because he always keeps his word. I mean, there's, there's absolutely no doubt about it. And so we can trust him in every single circumstance. One man said, trust in yourself and you are doomed to disappointment. Trust in your friends and they will die and leave you. Trust in money and you may have it taken away from you. Trust in reputation and some slanderous tongues will blast it. Trust in God, and you are never to be confounded in time or eternity.
A godly mother knows Christ personally. She knows God's word. And she trusts God in every circumstance. And last, she remains faithful. And for this, we have to go to John chapter 19. And so why don't you you turn there? John chapter 19, verses 25 through 27. John 19, 25 through 27. Let me read those verses. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. So these these verses tell us that Mary was one of the few people who loved and followed Jesus, uh, who was present when he was crucified. And you know, we don't want to forget that Mary not only gave birth to Jesus, but she mothered him for 30 years. From childhood to manhood, she did everything a devoted mother could do for the son she knew was no ordinary man. Jesus, in his humanity, would have learned from his mother, who saw herself as the servant of the Lord. Mary, who knew the word of God so well, would have, like the mother and grandmother of Timothy, taught the child Jesus the scriptures. In the home that Joseph and Mary had made for her son, God had been preparing Jesus for 30 years for a brief but dynamic ministry lasting just over three years. And when Jesus left home, who can imagine the bitter trials that Mary must have suffered during those years of his ministry? I mean, look, she had the same motherly concerns for Jesus as any mother here this morning would for her child. And no matter how old your children are, they're still your children. And at the end of Jesus' life and ministry, Mary was there. She saw him when he was beaten and battered beyond recognition, his beard pulled out. She heard the mocking and scoffing of the priests and the people as Jesus was hanging on the cross. She was there when the darkness uh, came upon the earth. She was there when they pierced his side. She was there when he cried out, it is finished. And she was there when they took him down from the cross. Mary stood by the cross, not ashamed to be identified with her son, who was also her Lord and Savior. But she would have suffered such personal grief as she watched her son die in agony. And it would have been like a sword piercing her own soul, just as Simeon had prophesied in Luke chapter 2. And all the disciples except John deserted Jesus, but not Mary. She remained faithful to God and to her Son and her Lord to the very end. And Mary didn't wander away after Jesus' death. She remained faithful to God. And the last time we see Mary in Scripture is in Acts chapter 1, verse 14. She was with the disciples and other believers gathered together in the upper room awaiting the coming and the empowering of the Holy Spirit. And that is the last glimpse we have 
of Mary. And her name is not mentioned again in Scripture. No doubt Mary remained faithful to God and His plan because the Bible portrays Mary as a humble, godly, faithful woman. And since Scripture is silent about what happened to Mary after Pentecost, we only have church tradition to tell us what became of her. And many scholars speculate that Mary lived out her years in John's home, either in Jerusalem or in Ephesus. Some have suggested, since it is believed that John oversaw many of the churches in Asia Minor, Mary moved to Ephesus with him and was part of the Ephesian church where Timothy pastored, but we can't know that for certain. What we do know is that although Mary was chosen by God for a unique assignment, she had to receive salvation by faith in her son, just as we all do. And so Mary is now in heaven with all the believers who have died in Christ, not because she gave birth to Jesus, but because she trusted in his shed blood as payment for her sin. Mary had a burden on her, a tremendous burden on her as a mother. I mean, I can't imagine. And she could have easily given up at any time, but she did not. She remained faithful. She lived the life of a godly mother and Christian. And we all can learn a great deal from the life of Mary. I mean, every Christian here can learn a great deal from the life of Mary. And as Christians, we have have much to go through in this life. Temptations, trials, sorrow, suffering, pain, tragedy. And Paul said in Acts chapter 14, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. Paul said in Philippians 1.29, for it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. But though things may get tough, I mean really tough, though we may experience severe trials and testings, through it all, God is faithful. And we are being held uh, in the grip of His grace. And so when when we feel tossed this way and that, when we get to the place that we think we can't go on, we need to remember that we are being kept by the Lord Jesus Christ, our Savior, and that He will, in His mercy, bring us to eternal life and glory in heaven. I mean, just as Jude said in Jude 24, he is able to keep you from stumbling. That means ultimately stumbling and falling away. He is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. So whatever the difficulties may be, however great the trial of our faith, we can count on this. We are kept by the one who has saved us And by his power and grace, we will remain faithful to the end. So the attributes of a godly mother are she knows Christ personally. She knows God's word. She trusts in every circumstance. And she remains faithful. And may God help us to understand and appreciate the importance of a godly mother. And in closing, moms, you have a tough job. But it's a very, very important job. And I would say that a mother's work is among the greatest in the world. 
And being a wife and a mother is a high calling. For those of you whose mothers are still living, you need to recognize your mother this Mother's Day for the things that she did well. In love, look beyond any of her shortcomings, because we all have them. And honor the one who introduced you to life and who loved you continually and made great sacrifices for you. Happy Mother's Day, moms. And I pray that the Lord richly, richly blesses every single one. On behalf of Pastor Jim Jarrett and everyone at Calvary Bible Church of Palisadro, we hope and pray this study will help you continue growing in the Word. If you've been blessed by today's message, or if you have any questions or comments, we'd love to hear from you. You can call us at 530-547-4400. Again, 530-547-4400. Or write to us at P.O. Box 837, Palisadro, California, 96073. You can also email us through the church website, at calvarybiblepc.org calvarybiblepc.org Thank you for listening and may God richly bless you. It's your love that makes me see It's your word that comforts me By your blood we've been set